0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We are in a series entitled Hearing God. During this month of July, we hope to rekindle a hunger within us to hear God's voice and listen and respond to Him. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Michelle and I live here in Springfield and go to Cherry Hills. When I think about hearing God, I think I think of when I'm struggling with something what to do or a direction to go or advice sort of kind of thing, that's kind of what I think of and what, you know, what what should I do in this situation, God? That's, I think, often when I want to hear from God. The most challenging thing for me, it's getting into the right mindset before I start remembering to pray and ask God to reveal, give me ears to hear and eyes to see, and um, getting into that place first that changes everything and it's so cool to to read something you've read so many times but then all of a sudden it like jumps off the page at you in a different way it's something that happens over time it seems like when 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 god is trying to get an idea across to me or reveal something to me i feel like i'll see it in scripture maybe in a way that i haven't seen it before But it's not just scripture. I'd say it's also in life around me. Things will happen that connect to that. Um, Things that come across the ticker of your mind, conversations you have with a friend, situations you might hear um, about—that all sort of converge. Just seek God, like however you seek Him, you know by. Praying more often, or just keep seeking Him. He won't hide from you. If you ask, He will reveal Himself.
1: I don't know if Michelle's in here, but thank you, Michelle, for sharing. Um, my name is Luke, and I'm one of our ministry leaders here. This week, we are in week three of a July teaching series called Hearing God. Hearing God. And uh, each week, we've been kind of looking at different ways in which God communicates to us, different sort of avenues or means in which God reveals himself and makes himself known in our lives. So Jesus taught in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So if you're following in your notes. We've been saying this kind of each and every week. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we must learn to hear his voice. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we must learn to hear his voice. So as Michelle uh, kind of previewed for us, this week we're going to be looking at scripture. How is it that God speaks to his people through scripture, in scripture, in the Bible? I'm using Bible, scripture, scriptures, all of that interchangeably this morning as you're tracking along with me, So, uh, just to give you a roadmap of kind of where we're, we're headed this morning. So, I want to give us a little bit of a glimpse into why is it that we think the Bible is something unique, something special. Uh, we use words like inspiration or authority, that we actually believe and trust that God is freshly communicating to his people through the pages in this book. Why do we think that? And then give us some principles for how we engage Scripture, how we read Scripture and listen to God in Scripture well. So that's where we're headed. And I recognize some of us come into this room today with just maybe skepticism around the authority, the inspiration, the sufficiency of Scripture. Basically big questions like, what makes this book different than any other sacred holy book and any other religious text out there? Or maybe it's just something like, you know, how is the Bible... Different from a sermon, from a devotional, from some theological book or commentary, what is it about Scripture that makes it truly a word from the Lord for us in a special and unique way? And I've noticed there are um, some things in the Bible. Maybe you feel this way. They're just hard to follow, hard to understand. There are there are parts that seem to be in tension with one another. There are aspects of Scripture that we sometimes, if we're real honest, don't even like. like, Why is that in there? That's so strange. What is that all about? I'm not sure I even think that that's a good thing. right? So we come to the Bible, at least many people in the world, come to the Bible with this set of of questions or skepticism or curiosities. And the only people I've found in life who think that the Bible is always easy to understand and obvious in everything it says and don't have much questions about it Are Christians who have had very minimal engagement with the Bible, a superficial contact with Scripture. Everyone else in the world seems to understand that the Bible is is wild and it's not easily domesticated. So uh, that's why I want to start here. I think it's an honest place to begin to consider uh, what Scripture is. Um, how it's inspired, how it's authoritative for us in our own lives. But just as a, as a caveat, I'm going to ask you to cut me some slack here because you can barely get um, a pizza you know, baked and delivered to your house in 30 minutes or less. So I am not in that amount of time going to be able to satisfy all our questions and, and fully extrapolate a doctrine of Scripture. But I want to at least you know, take a stab, put something on the table for us. And um, I'll just shamelessly plug here, too, by the way. You should, you should probably take Chad's Institute class on the Bible next spring because he's going to give a much fuller conversation on these things. But let's, let's just start to scratch the surface on this, right? There is something that a pastor by the name of Andrew Wilson wrote that I kind of come back to as sort of um, an anchor for why I trust in the Bible. He writes these words I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him, and I've decided to follow him. And so if he acts and talks as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. If you're following in your notes, the Bible doesn't have authority over Jesus, nor does the Bible's authority conflict with the authority of Jesus, as if, as if they were opposed in some way, right? Instead, Jesus gives the Bible its authority. Jesus gives the Bible its authority. So the Bible is God speaking to us when we trust that it comes from Jesus and it's about Jesus and we interpret it in light of Jesus. Only then are we reading scripture as God intended it to be read and being properly attuned to the voice of God in the text. This is something Jesus himself wanted to teach, right? So Jesus says uh, in John 5 to some religious leaders, and I would love for you to read this out with me, out loud with me because these are some important words. In John 5, 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So it's with an understanding that the Bible is a witness to Jesus the the ultimate word of God, capital W, right? And that it's Jesus' voice, it's Jesus' authority, which makes the Bible trustworthy, that Christians come to affirm that scripture is really God speaking. And this is all kind of in, in, in background context to Paul's famous line in 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes, as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good. So the scriptures are the words that are inspired. And by the way, when you say inspired, I don't just mean like, you know, a work of art. Well, that, that's, that's inspirational. That's an inspiration in this context is a technical term, right? It means God breathes. The spirit has done something unique to make these human words also divine words. You with me? That's inspiration, right? So the scriptures are the words inspired by the spirit to bring us to salvation, to make us wise for salvation, but they are not salvation themselves. Salvation comes from the capital W word of God, the Logos that we sang about earlier, right? The one who is with God in the beginning that John 1 talks about, with the Lord Most High. That's where salvation actually lies. And yet, even though salvation is in Jesus, Jesus repeatedly affirmed the validity and the sufficiency of the scriptures as the not so ordinary. Ordinary means, the day-to-day means through which God reveals himself to people. And so that's going to be our starting place for hearing God in Scripture, just agreeing with Jesus that God has sufficiently and authoritatively spoken to us a true word in the Scriptures. So uh, we'll be jumping around into different scriptures as you've already noticed this morning, but I want to camp out just for for a brief minute in Luke chapter sixteen. So if you're going to open your Bible to somewhere, that's your that's your spot. All right, Luke chapter sixteen, verses nineteen through thirty-one. Jesus tells a story. It's about a lot of different things. It's about judgment and it's about Jesus' view of of money and social ethics. But it also has some some really important truth about what scripture is and how Jesus views the sufficiency of the Bible and the the authority and the trustworthiness of scripture as a word from God to people. So Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. He says, There is a rich man who is dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, a gap, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't be convinced. If you're like me, you have a desire for God to speak clearly for him to speak powerfully, forcefully. I mean, I would love an angelic visitation. You want something that's gonna be supernatural, otherworldly, spectacular, you know? Something that's really gonna knock your socks off and be like, whoa, that was for sure God. That's what we're after, right? Something that's going to be a little bit extraordinary. A little smoke and mirrors and flashing lights. Something to make sure that we really know God has spoken. You know, we're not too keen on, on this, you know, well, is it my thoughts or God's life? That's hard to figure out. And so, what we'd really, really love is, you know, like the writing on the wall from the Phantom Hand or something or the Burning Bush. Like, give us one of those experiences, you know. This is what the rich man is saying to Abraham. He basically wants uh, the plot of a Christmas carol. He's like, all right, send Jacob Marley back here to go talk to Ebenezer Scrooge. And then, you know, if if he gets a visit from a ghostly apparition, he's going to change his ways. This is what he thinks is going to happen for his brothers. He's like, just send somebody, you know, across from the great beyond. That's going to work, Abraham. And Abraham doesn't view it that way. The rich guy is saying, Hey, God should reveal himself. God should speak. God should send a message. God should share a warning. And if he does it in this extreme way, then that will make the difference and they'll hear from God and know it and listen. But Abraham essentially says to him, God has spoken. God has sent a message. God has shared truth. He has revealed himself. They ought to read the Bible. Now I know that um, for for many of us, you're, you're reading closely in this text with me, or you're listening out loud. And you're like, "Wait, read the Bible." The Bible's not in the story. He doesn't say read the Bible. So let me just explain here. In the first century, people didn't use the word Bible, and of course, the scriptures that they're reading at synagogue or wherever, you know, it's it's not a, a neatly bound leather book with a cross in the front and a New Testament. Okay, we're talking about different scrolls of different texts, Hebrew stuff, what we would call the Old Testament, what they call the Tanakh. But in the Bible, you see in the New Testament, several different places where scriptures are referred to and what they're talking about is what we would call the Old Testament and language that they use is things like Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets or the law and the Psalms and the prophets, right? So this is a way, a first century way of referring to the scriptures, the sacred text that God had spoken through uh, many prophets and other people to his people, Israel. And Jesus actually comes on the scene and says, all that stuff is really about me. But he still uh, honors the authority of the scriptures. So after his resurrection, Jesus says in Luke 24, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, when Abraham says to the guy, you know, hey, uh, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, right, or let them go and listen to Moses and the prophets, right, when he says that, that's first century speak for go read your Bible, right? That is what go read your Bible sounds like in first century idiom. And I don't know about you, but that's frustrating to me. I want to, you know, roll my eyes a little bit at old Father Abraham. Like, come on, man. You read that thing? I mean, people whose literal job it is to study this can't agree on what it means. Is it really is this really the special thing I want? I mean, surely, you know, a visit from a resurrected somebody is gonna make more of a difference than this. This is just too ordinary. Like read the Bible. And we like the rich man have a bias against the ordinary. But of course, part of the irony in the story, right, is, is not that, you know, God's not actually against remarkable things or miracles happening left and right. And the deepest irony of the story is that indeed someone will return from the grave and reveal God's nature and word as a warning of coming judgment. Jesus himself will do this, right? So that's the deep irony in the story. It's, gotten, it's not as if God is against some of these more, what we might consider remarkable features, revelations, but God is love, uh, he he loves scripture and he he loves to reveal himself in ordinary partnership with human beings. And so the paradigm shift that we have to make is not, well, I guess if I want to hear from God, then, you know, I just better settle for this ordinary stuff because God's probably not going to do anything spectacular for me. That happens maybe to other people or maybe a long time ago, but it's not, God's not really going to do that to me. That's not that's not the the frame of mind for us to be in. Instead, the paradigm shift I'd like us to make is this if you're following your notes. There's no such thing as ordinary divine revelation. It's all extraordinary. It's all extraordinary. And if this is a hard pill for us to swallow, it's because we don't have the view of scripture that Jesus had of scripture or that Father Abraham in the story has of scripture. We don't actually think that this is a precious gift and a privilege and something sacred for us to latch onto and shape our lives around and be rooted in. But this is how Jesus thinks of scripture. You know that um, Wycliffe Bible translators, they do a ton of translation work in languages across the globe and there's more than 5,000 languages spoken in the world. And according to their 2022 estimate, 1.4 billion people do not have a complete text of the Bible in their first language. 1.4 billion. That's at least 20% of the global population. Scripture is something special. It's a gift. And to be able to read it, just open it up. I mean, we would wake up if we really viewed Scripture the way that Jesus views Scripture and the way that he thinks it's inspired and authoritative and, and profitable for us we would wake up every morning and think, whoa, there is a miracle sitting on my bedside table. This is what Jesus wants us to approach scripture with. That's the frame of mind. So if we wanna do that, if you wanna be people who go to scripture and say, okay, the Lord is speaking through this, I'm here to listen. I want to make sure that I hear what God has to say. Then how do we go about doing that really well? Practically, what does this look like? Um, we have these practice guides. And this is kind of our, our best uh, shot at trying to summarize in half a sheet of paper some actual practices for us to engage in as we seek to hear God. So there's one in there on scripture that I'd love for you guys to grab on your way out of the doors as you exit services uh, later after um, our time is done in worship and singing uh, and preaching but that's going to be my best stab at like okay how does a 10 minute time structured in the word look like for me okay so i'd love for you to take it out but what i want to do is focus on some principles right some some governing overarching principles for us as people who go to the scriptures to hear god speak so that we can discern truth from lies and be formed in the way of Jesus. So there's probably a million different principles we could aim. I've tried to pick out just four ones that I think are really significant and important for us. So principle number one, scripture is Norma Norman's. I know that sounds like a 1950s cartoon character, okay? Uh, that is a Latin phrase. It means the norming norm or the ruling rule. This is a phrase that's been passed down through church history and found its way to you today if it's new to you. And basically what it means is this, scripture is a guardrail for you. Scripture is the foundation. Scripture is the thing that has ultimate authority. And so whatever you think you may be hearing the Lord say to you, if it, if it doesn't align with scripture, if it confronts and goes against What scripture teaches, that's not really God speaking to you. Because scripture is the norm that norms all other norms. It's it's the standard, it's the benchmark, the thing that we compare to and say, okay, does this match scripture? That's what norma normans means. So 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul writes, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This is what it looks like to abide with this First principle, we are people who want to hold fast and stand firm on the teaching that we have received, and that's are sort of codified in this anthology, this library we call the Bible. We connect ourselves to Scripture. We, we sit under the authority of Scripture, right? Not to master the text, but to be mastered by the text. So if we think God is speaking to us, we go to the Bible and we say, okay, does this fit? Does this align, Right? It's going to be our, 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 our judge, our criterion for that. So that's the first principle. Now, here's the second principle, and this one has more to do with um, hermeneutics, the science, the art of interpreting the Bible, reading it well. Principle number two is this. Read big. Read big. Here's what I mean. Most people's approach to the Bible is what Old Testament scholar uh, Drew Johnson calls microdosing. Microdosing. Um, microdosing is this idea that you can digest scripture in sort of you know bite-sized pieces, right? You can kind of pick it apart in an ad hoc hodgepodge approach that relies on small quantities of text, usually lifted out of context. And that becomes our main diet of scripture. So let me give you an example. When my, um, when my wife was in the hospital giving birth to our son, during the delivery process, she has this little magic button and some of you women know what this is about because you, you love this magic button. And she gets to press this button every 15 minutes if she wants to. And that gives her a little bit of painkillers, right? And so it's like, boom, okay, needed that. That's great. Now I'm going to make it 15 more minutes. Boom, okay, needed that. Now I'm going to make it 15 more minutes. And that's a wonderful thing. And some of us use scripture in this way. We, when we're, when we're, you know, we're sad, when we need comfort, when we're anxious, Maybe when we're angry, maybe when we're we're feeling guilty, we'll go to the Bible and like find a verse or whatever. And we're just like, boom, like a little shot of that to get into our system. And that's how we'll kind of digest scripture. These bite-sized, lifted out of context, ad hoc approach. And don't let me dissuade you from going to the Bible when you're sad and anxious and guilty and angry go for it. Like, do that. Scripture is there for you to turn to and encounter God in the pages of that book. But here's the really big idea. Bad things happen when you try to live on and make a diet of painkillers. Yes? So you can't just digest Scripture solely in bumper sticker length quotables from the Bible's highlight reel. We've got to get a wider framework for the story and the context of Scripture so they can read with the grain of the text, with the movement of Scripture, and find out what God actually is saying through the thing as a whole. Philip Yancey says, just to use another dietary metaphor, he says, The modern church has formed an entire culture around Bible McNuggets and assumed they were nutritious. We got a lot of Bible McNugget culture going on in the church. So here's what I mean by read big then, right? Read in such a way that you grasp the, the sweeping uh, scope of scripture, the context of what you're reading. And not only the immediate context, like what's the verse that came before, although that's very important, but just the, 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 con- the story as a whole. Like, if if the Bible is a narrative about God's redemptive mission, his work in the world, and it tells us who human beings are and who God is and what the problem is and what he's doing about it, then how does this little thing I'm reading fit in that story? That's what we mean by read big. So to do this might probably mean some long-form reading uh, rather than just exclusively short-form reading. It might mean less frequent Bible reading but longer duration Bible reading, and I know I could get in trouble saying that because, you know, many of us have grown up, like I grew up, and you must read your Bible, you know, at least five minutes every day. And that's great. If you do that, that's fantastic. But you, you don't have to read the Bible five minutes every day. Jesus didn't read the Bible five minutes every day. Only in the last couple hundred years has that even been a possibility for most of human history, right? So, so what if you spend an hour on a Saturday soaking in the scriptures in a long form way? Maybe that'll be more sustainable for you and allow you to read with the grain of scripture better. Again, please don't hear me taking away quiet time from you. Spend time daily with Jesus in the word if you're able to, please, okay? This isn't about reading less, it's about reading well. That's that's what we're after here. And that may mean you need to change the way in which you engage so you can get the fuller story and the scope of scriptures and soak in it longer. Another thing, right? Our Bibles have chapters and verses in them. And that's beautiful. It means I can say, turn to Romans 3 and you'll all be like, boom, sword drill, you know? Jessica can do this with the kids downstairs and they know. There it is. So that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But part of the problem is that it can, you know, mislead us into thinking the Bible is meant to be dissected and taken one little verse and segment at a time. But that's not how the original readers of the Bible read it, right? When Paul sends Phoebe to Rome's, like, hey, I got this letter, go take this, read this, right? Probably what happens is she gets up there and all in one go, 16 chapters, here's Romans. And they all sit under it together and they get a sense of what the whole thing is, and then they can pick it apart and ask questions, right? So they're getting the full sense of scripture. So these long form readings are gonna be really, really helpful for us. So that's what I mean by read big. If you're a person who's getting uh, you know, verse of the day, um, Bible notifications, or you're just kind of flipping randomly to a place and putting your finger on it, genuinely, I commend your earnestness. I commend your perseverance and your hunger. Don't let me take that from you. But I'm just saying you might need some permission and some invitation to engage Scripture in a way that's going to be more conducive to what Scripture is actually trying to do, more suitable for you in the way the Bible is meant to be read. Principle number three, read small. Okay, I know some of you are going to throw tomatoes at me because it's kind of contradictory. It's not contradictory, it's complementary. okay? You need to read big and you need to read small. I can take, you know, a great zoomed-in photo... Well, Okay, I personally can't take this, but some people can take a great zoomed in photo of, you know, like a, here's a leaf or whatever, right? And that's great. And that's gonna give you some good detail and high def, it's awesome. But it's gonna be totally different from what somebody will see looking under a microscope, right? There's different ways in which you can zoom in close on something and get something good out of it. It depends on what you're trying to do. So while keeping in mind the big story of the Bible, its threads, its themes, its overall plot, the big picture... A person who's deeply formed by scripture is also going to want to spend time up close with the microscope out, like zoomed in real, real close, puzzling over specific words and phrases and verses and scenes. And you're just going to like sit with this. Like, what does that word really mean? Where does that statement really come from? Why was that done? Why was that action taken in this scene in the Bible, in the narrative? And so you've got to sit with these things up close as well, digging into the weeds, studying, exploring, asking those hard questions. You're going to have to bust out your dictionary, your concordance, your commentaries, and get into that kind of work. You're just going to be able to see it, the Bible in a different way, that way, right? So, for instance, I can go on a, a vast cross-country road trip, and I can see a lot of what this country has to offer, and I can give you a really good sense of the overall uh, picture of what the usa is like out there and that's going to have value that's going to be of benefit to someone but it's a different type of benefit if i just go and i live in a place and i put down roots there and i raise a family there and i worked there for decades and, and i know the town gossip that's not going to appear on the national news and and i know the street names like by heart it's, it's in my bones not just on a map that's a different way of knowing a place And we need both of these types of knowledge to be properly attuned to the voice of God in scripture. So not just the reading big, but the reading small as well. I had a New Testament professor who used to quote this old theologian. And he would say, he is no theologian who is not first a grammarian. He's no theologian who's not first a grammarian. You know, like we like to say, the devil's in the details. Okay, Jesus is there too. God hangs out sometimes in the details. You start to notice some things in the Bible that's rich in the details. So we need those close and deep readings of the Bible as well as the wider zoomed out readings of the Bible. So you can just do a spiritual diagnostic for yourself here. Discern, how has your previous approach to the Bible been more shaped by you know, the, the, the close, small readings or the wider, zoomed out, big readings? And what do you need to do in the next season of engaging with the Bible to read it better, to be, to be a more wiser, more fruitful engager of Scripture? If you're a person who's just like, man, I read in big swaths and I'm crushing the whole Bible in six months and I'm reading it cover, that's awesome. Like maybe, maybe you need to spend some time like honing in on a verse or two, and you just memorize it and you get it in your bones and you pick it all apart and you figure it out and you wrestle with it. If you're somebody who's like, you just, you love, you know, Psalm 1 and that's like your thing and and you're immersed in this one place and you've never like read the whole thing, you don't really get the whole story and how the pieces fit together. You know, you might be missing the forest for the trees. Maybe you need to, to widen and engage with scripture in a new way. This makes sense, right? Okay, here's the fourth Principle. This one's important. Assume inspiration, ask for illumination. Assume inspiration, ask for illumination. Inspiration is the idea that God is the ultimate author behind the text, right? Scripture is is dual authored, human divine partnership, collaboration, but it's God's voice who breathes through into the text. So uh, inspiration is an affirmation that God spoke through human beings, what he wanted to say. It's past tense. Like this happened, it's the reality. Every time you open your Bible, you're reading inspired words, like it or not. Inspiration is just an objective reality that occurred in the past that we now benefit from. It's a guarantee, But illumination is different. Illumination is not a guarantee when you read the Bible. Illumination is is present tense. It's what occurs in the moment as the spirit who inspired the text then brings its meaning and its authority to bear on your life in a fresh way now. Illumination is when the spirit takes old words and makes them new for you and for me. It's when meaning comes alive for us. but it's not just, well, the Bible meant this to them. It's, but yes, now it means this to me. And these things aren't opposed. They work in tandem and conjunction and collaboration with one another. But while I can go to the Bible and just assume, okay, inspired, if I want to see how the Spirit is going to illuminate these words in my own life, I ask. And And I go and I say, Spirit, what do you want to make me aware of here, right? So, asking uh, God to speak to us in Scripture doesn't mean, you know, just putting your finger in a random place and saying, Lord, you know, give me some esoteric message. Give me a sign. Is this the spot? Is this something? We're not, you know, it's not a fortune cookie, right? We're not just cracking it open and saying, oh, I guess I better live my life that way. You still need to read it with the grain and read big and read small and do all those things, you know? Now, the caveat is that, yes, you could put your finger on a random passage and maybe that's God's, maybe, maybe God wants to speak to you in that way but I wouldn't count on that as the normative way of doing things, right? Like I can, I can maybe hammer, you know, a nail into a wall with a plunger, but that's not the normative use of a tool. You with me? So, so use the normative uh, uses of scripture, the way it's designed to be read. That's the most profitable way that we can engage it to hear God speak to us. And if we do that, those words on the page that look static and lifeless and just ink, they can become alive for us and shape us and get into our bones in a whole new way that our imagination is shaped and formed. We begin to think God's thoughts after him. We begin to share his values and his vision for life and reality. And it shapes the way that we read our world. That's what we're ultimately we're after. There is a, um, there's a poet and an Anglican priest named Malcolm Guyte And he tells this story of going to visit a woman who's dying. And she has some neglect from the nurses, as well as some advanced stage dementia. And the nurse tells him, you know, she's not going to be able to string three words together, but you can go and you can just be with her. And so he goes into this room, and not counting that she's going to be able to really speak or have conversation, he just begins to recite from Scripture. And he says... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And before he gets to the next line, he hears a voice. Join with him and continue to recite the words of the 23rd Psalm. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And the last words of this woman before she slipped into eternity and into the presence of God are surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what it looks like to hear God in scripture. It's wonderful to be able to turn to scripture in those moments of felt need, you know, when we're anxious or angry or we just wanna hear from the Lord, that's, that's beautiful. But what is more powerful is when scripture in those moments pours forth out of us because we have spent day after day, just saturated, immersed in scripture, hearing God speak to us over and over and over again. That's what it looks like to digest scripture in a healthy way so that God moves into us internal. We can internalize this and then contextualize it in our lives as we face just the myriad challenges of living. That's what we're gonna do as people who seek to hear God in scripture, digest it well. So the team is gonna lead us in a song here before we get to communion. The song that we're gonna sing together is just richly filled with the scriptures and it helps our imagination be immersed in what scripture has to say to us. But it also reminds us that as much as we may digest the words of scripture, the meal that we are ultimately feasting on in the Bible is Christ himself that he's the one that we get to go and feast on. He's the one who truly saves. So I invite you just to remain seated, but also join with us and sing if you'd like and meditate on these words together and help us prepare for our time of communion together.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.